Why don't you go ahead and uh, uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John, John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you forgot your Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, please put your hand up. We'd love to get a Bible into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, then take this home as our gift to you. But if, if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, get your hand up, get one of these, open to John chapter 20. If you're grabbing one of these Bibles being handed out, that's on page 775. If you brought your own Bible, you're on your own. Sorry, can't help you out. John chapter 20. Man, I'm excited for Easter. I tell you, Lee and I hit each other up in the office this morning on the way over here and noticed we were both wearing ties. We're like, man, it takes Jesus raising from the dead to get pastors in this church to wear a tie. But no, if you die, I'll wear one at your funeral too. Don't worry, but we'll get them out there too. But like, man, I love Easter. I, I love it. So I was doing a little bit of research on Easter online. So I went to Wikipedia because everything there is true, right? And so I was, I was on there and looking up about the Easter bunny. Do you know this about the Easter bunny? Invented by German Lutherans. It was this bunny that they would tell their kids, the bunny's going to come on Easter. It's like Santa. And, and if you're good, you get chocolate. If you're not good, you don't get chocolate. So this afternoon, when you bust out the chocolate Easter bunny, just know this, he's judging you, all right? He's judging your family, okay? That's like when I was a kid, you know, do you eat the ears first or the tail first? I always bit his eyes out first, right? <laughs> You're not judging me. Okay, anyway, I was a weird kid. Listen, here's the thing, right? Easter comes along. And then and what do we do every, every year? Because we're celebrating Easter, we buy a ton of candy. Stores are closed. You get a day off work. You dress up for church. You come out. We sing a lot of songs, but then we go back to the rest of our life, the regular routine of life. And, and we can ask this question as we leave this place, did this actually change anything? Like, why is Easter even a big deal? Is there something that happened? I mean, this day that we remember and we celebrate this historical event, this world-changing event where Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, although they thought the mission was dead and over, although they thought the, the whole revolution, this whole plan that Jesus had been laying out was dead and gone, but on that first Sunday, 2,000 years ago, that first Easter, that what was dead, the mission, the vision, the plan, the world-changing revolution was no longer dead because Jesus was no longer dead that he rose again to new life. And listen, this changes everything. Easter's this time where we, we celebrate new life. We celebrate that Jesus came, lived a life that we couldn't live, that we were called to live. If we wanted to be in relationship with God, God is perfect and holy. We couldn't do that. Jesus lived that life for us. And then he died a death that we should die taking God's just punishment for our sin. Jesus takes it on himself. He's buried, and this morning we celebrate that he didn't stay buried, that he rose again, that he defeated death. He defeated sin. And listen, this Easter, this morning, as we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection, it can mean new life for everyone here. It's never ceased to amaze me how much life has a way of taking the life out of us. You, you think about all the ups and downs, all the discouragements, all the hurt, all the pain, all the questions, all the regrets, all the trials. It never ceases to amaze me how much life can suck the life out of us. 
And I don't think I'm the only one. I think across this room, there's, there's going to be people here. And maybe you're here and you're, you're filled with regrets. You've experienced difficult relationships. Maybe you're here and you're thinking about those dreams that you had that, that have died. You're, maybe you have these questions about the future. You deal with brokenness and doubts and, and hurt and pain that you've caused others and hurt and pain that's been done to you. And we come to a time like this and we look around. We even see the brokenness of our world. But I believe with all my heart that there is new and abundant life for every person in this room, all because God took on human flesh, lived, died, and rose again. If you come here this morning as a skeptic, like how, how can this stuff really be real? I've heard a little bit about this kind of thing, but I, I don't fully see how this could be real. My prayer this morning is that you see new life through Jesus and the reality of the resurrection. If you're far away from Jesus this morning, and it's been a long time since you've been in church, and maybe, maybe you're carrying around this weight of bad choices, broken relationships, guilt, hidden sin. My prayer for you this morning is that you would see the power of forgiveness and new life that's yours because of the resurrection. If you're here this morning and, and life has been so hard and it, it just seems to go on the way it always has, my prayer for you this morning is that you would see the hope of the resurrection. The hope that Jesus has to make you alive again. If you've got your Bibles, out, we're going to dig in right away. Maybe you're a note taker. You want to maybe write down this first point this morning. Listen to this. There is new life for the hopeless. There is new life for the hopeless. John 20 starts this way, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So, so here we are, early, early in the morning, first day of the week, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene. Now, there are other ladies with her, and you read about them in the other accounts, but you, you read here in John's account of this going on. He wanted to focus on her experience. So they show up, and the stone that had sealed that tomb the, on the Friday when Jesus had died, they put the stone in front. They put a seal on it, this royal seal that no one can break. They, they have guards guarding it. Why? Because they thought someone would come and steal the body. And they show up, and the stone's been moved. Now here's the thing. Their immediate conclusion wasn't, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. No, no. They, their immediate conclusion was this. Someone stole the body. You gotta put yourself in Mary's position as she comes to this tomb. She's coming there, why? Because her hope was gone. The dream was dead. This whole Messiah thing that they've been just placing their entire hope in, this guy named Jesus, all they wanna do now was come and honor the body of someone they love because Jesus was dead and they're hopeless. Verse two she sees the stone had been rolled away, verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So, so they run back to the disciples. And where are the disciples? The disciples are hiding out. Why are they hiding out? Because they're hopeless. 
That's what you do when, when life seems hopeless. What do you do? We begin to hide, don't we? We sometimes people hide out. They withdraw from life. Sometimes we hide by putting things in front of us. Well, maybe if I have more money around me, maybe if I have more things around me, maybe if I bury myself in my work or in this hobby, I won't have to think about this hopelessness anymore. And we hide from it. We try everything we can to numb the pain, to avoid the fact that we are in fact empty. So these women, they run, they tell the, the disciples, they gotta tell someone that, that somebody's stolen the body of Jesus. Look at verse three. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. So John stops. He sees everything that's going on there. You see in verse six, Peter though doesn't stop. Classic Peter style. Then Simon Peter came following him and he went right into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place all by itself. All these linen cloths, all these things that had been wrapped around the body, wrapped up Jesus' body in the 75 pounds of spices that would have been on there to stop the body from smelling as it would have decomposed. He runs in and he sees all them lying there. Now here's the thing. If the body had been stolen like they first thought, do you think there would have been this linen cloth that was on Jesus' head? Do you think it would have been folded up? Do you not think that they would, would, those, would all the other cloths be laying there? Listen, if I'm going to steal a body, I'm going to jump into that tomb and go, good, it's wrapped up, because that's a corpse. You're not unwrapping the thing, right? You're taking, listen, so what are they saying? They're looking and going, there's no crime scene here. Nobody stole this body. John steps in. And all that he didn't understand before becomes more clear. Look at verse eight. The other disciple who had, who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Verse nine, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John steps in and everything begins to make clear. Wait a minute, Jesus had talked about this. It had been prophesied all throughout the scriptures for thousands of years leading up to this. Jesus left the tomb alive. But let's keep following on with Mary and see what's going on with her. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was laying, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. She, she's so discouraged. It says here she was weeping. The word there actually literally means wailing. Crying uncontrollably. Didn't recognize that, that what had actually happened. Still hopeless. Now, now who was this Mary lady? Who is this person we're, we're looking at here? Mary was someone who had a very broken past. Before she met Jesus, she'd come, she'd had, uh, come from a very broken background, broken relationships, used by people. A wreck of a life and a past that would have weighed heavy on her, but she was set free from her past. How? It's what we celebrate this morning. That, that on the Friday, Jesus had died this horrible death to deal with Mary's past to deal with your past, to deal with my past. It, it dealt with what the Bible calls sin, 
All those thoughts, all those choices, all those attitudes we have that are not holy and perfect, holy like a holy God is. And there's going to come a time where every one of us stand before God to give account for the sin. I mean, you can think about it this way. You think about a credit card. Isn't it great? You could take your credit card, go to a store, and buy something even though you may not have any money. It's that magic credit card. It's, isn't it great? Right? And you're like, I'll take that. Thank you. You're going, but what happens? We all know what's coming, right? The bill is coming. It isn't magic. It's not a little pixie thing. We get to just magically get stuff, right? No, there's a bill that's coming. When that bill comes, that debt needs to be paid. It's the same way with our sin. Every sin requires payment. There'll be a day when, when, when the bill comes due and we stand before God, he goes, what did you do? Where's your payment for that sin? And, and today we celebrate that Jesus Christ on the cross completely paid that debt. He wrote the check to pay the price for all our sin. So you could be made free, so you could be made alive. So here's Mary with her past, and, and she knew that Jesus had come on this rescue mission to save people from this, this unpayable debt they had of sin. But, but if Jesus died, all hope's lost. Because the cross means nothing without the empty tomb. The check would have bounced if Jesus hadn't have risen from the dead. But, but what happens? Jesus did rise again. Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. I don't know whether it's still dark, it said, or, or whether because of her weeping, she's so distraught, she doesn't recognize Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She's looking for hope. And she, she assumes that this guy's standing in the shadows, that maybe this guy's just part of the story of hopelessness, not knowing that he was the answer to her hopelessness. But I love it, I love it. Jesus doesn't cut her off. He listens to her heart. He says, why are you weeping? He doesn't get after her when she says, well, well I'm weeping because my Savior has died. And, and Jesus will go, really, really, Mary? I've been telling you guys this for so long. I've been trying to get it through your thick skulls. I, I said I would raise again. Man, this is, forget it. Mary, just get out of here. I'm going to find some other people who are going to have bigger, stronger faith. Jesus doesn't do that. He just tenderly says this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, just says her name. And in that moment, when Jesus says Mary, Mary sees Jesus for who he is. Because here's the thing, Mary was hopeless. She wasn't coming to the tomb hoping to find a cute saying that she could stitch on a pillow or put on a coffee mug and, oh, that'll get me through. Happiness is a choice. Huh, that's all I needed, right? No, she's coming looking for true, real, lasting hope. And she meets a risen Jesus. I mean, she knew there was nothing in her to lift her out of hopelessness, but now Jesus reaches into that hopelessness and raises her up. And Jesus looks into our lives and he sees where you're lost, where I'm lost in hopelessness and sin. And what's he do? The creator of the universe, the, the Lord of all speaks your name. 
He knows you. He knows every thought. He knows every action. He knows everything hidden, all the things you've done, all the things that have been done to you. And through Jesus, he accepts you. And he calls your name and calls you to be made alive. In that moment of Jesus lovingly and tenderly calling out Mary's name, all her doubt, all her confusion, all her hopelessness and sorrow vanishes because she recognizes Jesus. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Obviously, when she knows who it is, she grabs a hold of him to hug him. He says, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my, fa- to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then he'd said these things to her. She goes away with joy and hope. Jesus steps in, listen, into your desperation, into your hopelessness. If you come here just weighed down by life, listen, Jesus steps in and he turns that hopelessness into life. The same Jesus who who calms a deadly storm with just a word. The same Jesus who gives sight to the blind. He conquers death and sin. He was made alive so that you, this morning, could be made alive. And he changes those who have faith, those who step out of the fear and the hurt and the hopelessness and acknowledge who Jesus is, acknowledge his power to heal, to transform, to bring new life. And that faith comes when you recognize, I have nothing else. Mary had nothing else. It's not like she's going there going, man, if I just do this, if I can work harder at this. No, she recognizes, I had no other hope but this. And when you've exhausted all your other options, when you're sick and tired of trying to do this life on your own to find that deep meaning and hope, When you're tired of trying and failing and trying and failing, listen, it's then that you step towards Christ and Christ reaches in with new life for the hopeless. Secondly, this morning, there's also, listen, new life for the doubting. There's new life for the doubting. And maybe you come here this morning like, I'm not hopeless. And in fact, I'm not really hurting. Or maybe you come and say, I am hopeless. But listen, you're also coming saying, but I'm skeptical. Maybe you've been, you've been invited out and you, you've been promised lunch afterwards. You're like, okay, I'll do the church thing. I'll put up with that time of church because you're going to give me a free lunch. Maybe you just show up because it's been a while since you've been out of church. Like Easter's a good time to come back. And maybe you're here and you, you swore. You're like, I'll never set foot in a church. And yet here you are. And you know what Easter's about. You know, I, I get there's this religious thing going on here. I, I get the story of this Jesus who, who came and supposedly died on a cross and then rose from the dead, but you're not so sure about it. And maybe, maybe you're like John. You, you get to the tomb, but you stop. You're like, I'm not, I'm not going in. I'm not too sure about if, if, if this is all real or not. Here's what's interesting about what happens here in, in the book of John. One of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples who had been with him for three years is doubting. Look at verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, so one of the disciples, one of the guys who hung out with Christ for 12 years, Thomas called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of, of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Here's the thing, you read through the gospels, I'm gonna tell you something, all of the disciples had trouble with it. They all doubted. Thomas is the one who voices it though. And I like that. I like that. I like that Thomas didn't just go along with the story. Hey, just because you tell me this doesn't mean I'm just going to jump in and believe it. No, he wanted to see the nail marks. He wanted to see where the spear pierced his side while he's on the cross. And he said, if I see that empirical evidence, then I'll believe. You ever wonder why a guy like Thomas would have doubted? I mean, Thomas followed Jesus. He, he heard all the teaching. He saw him feed 5,000 people. He saw him give sight to the blind. He saw him tell people who couldn't walk to get up and walk. He saw him raise the dead. Listen, the disciples weren't dumb. So, so Thomas says what I think a lot of us would say. Listen, if I'm going to die for this, if I'm going to give my life to this whole thing, then I, I, I'd better be real. And we can see here that these people weren't gullible. In fact, historians say this. They say the, the post-cross appearances of Christ, how Christ appeared to so many people, it's so compelling from an historical perspective that it's in, intellectually not honest to say that he, he didn't rise again, that he wasn't around after the crucifixion. In fact, there was a professor, Thomas Arnold. He was a chair of, the, of history at Oxford, one of the most renowned scholars of history. And he said this, he said, I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. When you think about it, Paul, someone who was transformed by Jesus, Paul writing to this church in Corinth, we have it recorded in 1 Corinthians, he writes this letter, it's 20 years after the resurrection, only 20 years. And he's writing this letter, he goes, hey, and remember how Jesus showed himself to over 500 people. And he says this, and most of them are still alive, you can go talk to them. Listen, if you're trying to make up a conspiracy, that's a dumb thing to do. Right? Wait until a hundred years later, man, when everybody's dead. You don't talk about it so soon. You don't tell people, hey, go talk to people about this. Go talk to the eyewitnesses. Because here's the thing. If there were 500 people, say, say all 500 were in on it. Yeah, Jesus didn't really raise it. You go to all 500, there, there's going to be at least one of them who kind of gives you the wink. Yeah, yeah, didn't really raise from dead. We kind of made it up. Right? Not one of them cracks. Tons of eyewitnesses, people being put to death and told right away after the death of Christ, being told, you recant this. You tell me you didn't see Jesus. You tell me this isn't real or you will die. And they die saying, I saw him. They live lives that dumbfounded the first century, how they sacrificed their life to care for others, to get this mission out, to talk to people about Christ, to love and care for people. They gave up wealth and health for this message of Jesus. Nobody dies for a lie. You might die if you've been duped into believing that it's true, but you don't die for something you've made up. But you know what? It's almost like this isn't a made-up story. Like it's recording what happened, 
In fact, it was C.S. Lewis, and he was an atheist most of his life. He, he studied and taught mythology at Oxford and Cambridge, and he reads through the New Testament as an atheist, and he said, said this. He said, this doesn't read like mythology. This reads like news. It reads like it says, this is what happened. You do with it what you will. So when God asks us to believe, he's saying to you, he's saying, listen, listen, take me at my word. Trust in the evidence that's been seen and examined. And when you doubt, this is what happens. That when we doubt, we stop moving towards the deeper meeting. We stop at the outside of the tomb. So this is as far as I'm going. I'm not gonna look for more answers. I'm not gonna look for new life. I'm not gonna look for the answer to hopelessness. I'm gonna stand out here and you're stopped from new life from being made right with God. Really, you're stopped from our only hope for eternal life. One author said it this way, to deny the resurrection is spiritual suicide. But even with all this evidence that they would point to the reality of the resurrection, it's, it's still, understandably, it's, it's hard to grasp. I mean, even Jesus' own followers find it difficult to believe. So Jesus does this. In his compassion, he comes to Thomas. Say, hey, touch the, the nail scars. Touch where the spear went in. See if it's real. Listen, listen, no doubts you have are too big for Jesus. God is not shocked by your questions. It's not like we ask, he's like, oh man, that one's too big. Look at verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. There is new life even in your doubt when you believe it. Now here's why this believing is so important. Look at verse 30. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. John's saying the whole reason I'm writing this stuff down, it's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's only through believing that Jesus is who he says he was, that he is God the Son, that he paid the price for our sin on the cross to pay God the ransom that we owe, the debt that we owe. And believing that he rose again from the dead to conquer death and sin. And by believing that, we're made right. We have new life. And you're made alive. Maybe this morning, though, you're, you're thinking, okay, the evidence is pretty clear. I, mean, I don't doubt that Jesus was, a, was, was real. I don't doubt that he was God. I don't even doubt that he died and rose again. But here's what I struggle with. I'm too messed up to get new life. Here's our last point this morning. It's this. There's new life for the messed up. Remember back in, in verse 17, we're reading here that Jesus says to Mary, hey, go tell the disciples. He sends her out. Go tell the disciples that I'm alive. And I'm thinking this, Jesus died alone on the cross. All but John deserted him. They all ran from him. They, they, they took off on him. Peter even denied knowing him. And so Jesus says, hey, go, go tell them. Now, when I picture, I'm reading this, I picture him saying in the voice of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Tell them I'm back, right? And what happens in those movies, right? He always goes after all those guys and they, they die one by one because he's getting his revenge, Right? Like, you go tell those guys, I'm not dead, and I'm coming for them. That's not what he says. Look at verse 17. Look, look at his exact words. He says, go tell my what? Go tell my brothers. 
Not, not go tell those ones who deserted me. Not, not go tell those guys who left me. Not go tell those guys who didn't believe. He doesn't even say, go tell my followers. Not even go tell my friends. He says, go tell my brothers. I mean, do you catch the immensity of that? These guys left Jesus at the greatest moment of his need, and he calls them brothers. And so this morning, I would say, what about you? You might be sitting here this morning carrying this unbelievable burden. Sin and bad choices have have left you broken and bruised and guilt-ridden, and even coming to church is difficult. And you're sitting there thinking, man, if people really knew me, if they, if they knew the things I had done, if they knew the things that had been done to me and, and the, the filth that's in me, what's going on in my head, what's gone on in my past, there's no new life for me. I am too messed up. Listen, in Jesus, there is new life for the messed up. There is forgiveness. We're gonna end off this morning looking at one more person, looking at Peter, Now, if you don't know the story, Peter had boldly stood up before Jesus had died, and he said, hey, if all these other losers leave you, Jesus, I'm standing firm. I will never leave you. And then what happens? In the midst of the trial, what's what's Peter do? Peter denies even knowing Christ three times. He says, I don't know him. I don't know him. He's warring himself by this fire, and a a little slave girl comes up. Brave, big Peter. A little slave girl comes up. He says, hey, weren't you with him? He goes, I don't even know the man. That's Peter. How would Jesus respond to Peter? Is there there forgiveness for that guy? What we see, there's not only forgiveness for Peter, but he is transformed, made alive. Don't we all want that? We we all want new life. We all crave that kind of freedom. and, And yet we make all these lame choices in our life that end up leaving us in these chains of regret and guilt and shame and brokenness. And we come looking for hope. And here's the thing. I remember uh, growing up, I wasn't a huge fan of church because I didn't hear a lot about hope. I mean, I would come to church and I I would hear things like, like, you know what, God hates sinners. And that was a problem for me. You know why? I was a sinner, right? I would hear, God hates idolaters, those who place anything above God, where they put their life and hope and worship into anything else greater than God. God hates that. And so I'm sitting in church going, man, God doesn't like people like me. So here's Peter carrying that same guilt. Look at chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, to the other disciples, he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. What's Peter really saying? He's not like, I need to clear my head. Let me go cast a few. No, he's saying, I'm done with this. I'm going back to my old job. He was a fisherman before he met Jesus. And he says, I'm out. I'm done. I'm too messed up. They go fishing. They don't catch anything all night. Empty nets. Jesus shows up on the shore. They don't recognize him at first, but he yells out, hey, throw your nets on the other side. I guess because they're just so wore out, so tired, like, okay, we'll try anything. Throw their nets in again. They pull in this massive load of fish. John right away recognizes, wait a minute, that's got Jesus written all over it. And, and he goes, that's Jesus. Peter, being who he is, doesn't wait as they're trying to row to shore. He just jumps right into the water, starts swimming for Christ. And he shows up on shore. Look at verse 9. 
When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you just caught. Jesus says to Peter, hey, hey, Peter, come over here. Let's have breakfast together. I love it. The, the fire was already going. Jesus was waiting for Peter. This guy whose life was such a train wreck. I love that. Peter so messed up. And Jesus is waiting for him to meet with him. So let's have breakfast together. And look what he asks Peter, verse 15. They finished hanging out, eating breakfast. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter was the one who stood up in all boldness before Christ went to the cross and said, I love you more than anybody. I'll never leave you. And Jesus says, do you really love me more than these? And if you read the rest of chapter 21, he asks him three times. Peter says, yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And it, it seems cruel, like Jesus is, is twisting the knife, but listen, he's not. He's using a scalpel to bring healing to Peter. Saying, Peter, you can be made new, but first this tumor of sin needs to be cut out. Listen, this text is saying this, no matter how much you may have blown it in your life, no matter what you've done or how you think you've screwed things up so much in your life or the lives of other people, no matter what you've done, there is an opportunity to start over, to be made new. Jesus takes Peter back to a fire. Kind of interesting, it was at a fire where Peter was warming himself when he denied knowing Jesus. Jesus brings him right back to that place. And he goes right at the heart of Peter's sin. He doesn't go after the ax and say, hey, Peter, Peter, you lied. You denied me. He goes to the heart beneath the sin and says, Peter, do you love me? It's not a religious list of rules that Jesus is making sure that Peter can check off. He's saying, where's your heart, Peter? For you this morning, where's your heart? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I mean, to be made new starts here. That's the first step, this first step of repentance where you say, here's my sin, I don't want it anymore. No excuses, no, no, no blame shifting, but just take responsibility. You notice that, that Peter just takes responsibility. He doesn't even say to Jesus, why do you keep asking me this? How many more times are you gonna do this? His heart is grieved and he says, I love you. Jesus took Mary full of hopelessness and brings her hope. Jesus takes Thomas, a doubter, and makes him into this great champion of the faith. He took Peter, a deserter, turns him into a rock. Who knows what Jesus can do with you this morning? You can have a fresh start. You can be wiped clean. You can be made alive through Christ. You can think of it this way. Have you ever shopped at Costco? You ever shop at Costco, right? The first time I shopped there, I, did, I wasn't aware of this one little rule, keep your receipt, right? Because as you're leaving, they've got these bodyguards at the, at the doors. Are you seeing them? Where's your receipt, right? Okay, they're not. They're usually like retired people, but still, right? They're, they want your receipt. Why do they want your receipt? Because even though you bought what you bought, what's the receipt do? Right? You can whip it out with confidence and you can say, listen, I paid for it. Okay, don't do that, that'd be rude, right? But you, you, could, right? you could defy them and say, listen, it's been paid for. I don't have to pay for this again because I've got my receipt. 
And they say, okay, you're free. You can go. You can leave Costco, right? <laughs> Listen, there are a lot of people here this morning and, and you don't believe you could be set free. Free from your sin, free from your past, free from your failures, free from where you're inadequate. And, and you've been taught or maybe you're teaching yourself that, that I can never be set free. I can't put these things behind me. These things define who I am. I'll never be able to forget them and I'll always have to live with them. And God says, no, on the cross of Jesus Christ, I paid the debt. Here's your receipt. What, what, what's the receipt? How do I know that Jesus has paid for everything? The empty tomb, the resurrection, what we're celebrating this morning, Easter is the receipt. When Christ raised from the dead, God stamped across the pages of history, it is paid in full. God stamped across your history. It is paid in full. You don't have to pay for these things ever again, never. That's why Jesus endured the cross. He took on your sin and my sin, and he did it, why? To restore you, to make you new, to bring you new life, to bring you forgiveness that would change your life forever. And so through the cross and resurrection of Christ, we go from hopeless, broken, messed up, dead in our sin to being righteous before God, blameless, without sin, spotless, pure, acceptable, adopted as sons and daughters. Maybe this morning, as the worst team comes up, as we end off this morning, maybe you feel like that this whole idea of Jesus wanting you, Jesus knowing you, Jesus calling your name, Jesus forgiving you, Jesus opening his arms to you to call you a brother or a sister, it's powerful for you. In your heart, you're saying, that, that's what I want. I, I want to choose that. I want that new life. I want to choose that forgiveness. Listen, it begins with making that step towards Jesus. Every encounter with Jesus requires a yes or a no. And when Jesus calls your name, what will you do with it? Will you stay in the boat? Will you, will you stay at the tomb? Peter jumped in the water and swam as hard as he could to be with Jesus. He left behind his old life. He left behind the boat and the empty nets. He didn't care what everybody else on the boat thought because he knew, I need to be where Jesus is. Listen, this is what Easter is all about. This is why we celebrate. It's about a way for us to be connected with God, about him being your God, being your father. And today he speaks your name. Will you trust him? Will you turn to him? Will you be made alive in him? Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the new life that you promise us. And the God that all we need to do is to turn. To turn and say, what I've been doing, what I've been striving for, it brings me no hope. Trying to strive for religion doesn't bring me hope. Trying to strive to, to do everything right. Striving after stuff and running towards, towards sin doesn't work. Running towards religion doesn't work, but running towards you, Jesus, brings new life. Lord God, I pray that across this room that if there are those here who feel hopeless, 
If there are those here whose hearts are filled with doubt, if there are those here whose hearts are filled with the mess of a past, God, that they would see you. That, Lord Jesus, they would recognize you as you call their name. And they would turn and find new life this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.